Thanks a lot, you guys. Um, we are uh, in a series that we've called Psalms by the Numbers, if you're just joining us. And what we've been doing this summer is going through Psalms. We picked eight different Psalms. And uh, the reason why we're calling it Psalms by the Numbers is we've just been naming the sermons by the Psalm number. And uh, today we're going to be looking at Psalm 40. But before we go there, I want to uh, give you our little factoid with each one of these messages. We've been kind of throwing out something that we call a nice to know. And here's your nice to know to go with our psalm today is that the early Christians sang psalms in their worship services. Early Christians sang psalms in their worship services. Apostle Paul references this directly in numerous uh, places in uh, his letters. He talks about uh, singing psalms with gratitude in your heart to the Lord or singing together psalms, uh, making music in your hearts. So uh, this is a common practice uh, in uh, the early church. And, you know, you think about it, there, there's no uh, hymnals, there's no hill song, there's no Bill Gaither trio, just throwing it back for old school. Um, and, you know, the first Christians in the early church, they came out of Judaism. So it would be totally natural for them to migrate their traditions with them. And so singing psalms was, was part of that. Um, now, for someone at that time that wasn't religious, can you imagine like how foreign that was to them? You know, if they didn't come from a traditional uh, religious background at that time, or maybe even they came out of pagan religion, and here they get together in their newly found faith with these other believers, and they're singing these songs, it would be totally foreign to them. I mean, the idea of shaping your life after the Holy Scriptures would not be part of their paradigm, and certainly not singing about it. And, you know, I've learned uh, in the years that I've been a pastor, like, some of you can relate to that. It's like the part you hate most about church. You love the sermons. That's why you come back every week. But uh, some of you are really uncomfortable with singing, and uh, there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, I, I've noticed that, you know, the older I've gotten, the more comfortable I've gotten uh, with that, but it wasn't part of my normal life. I didn't come from a religious background, so I totally get it. I, but the reason why we do it is, is it has this rich history. There's a legacy that comes forward to us that one of the reasons why we sing together when we gather to worship is that this has been going on for thousands of years. In fact, even pre-Christian, the followers of Yahweh God were singing these psalms, and so it came into the church and they continued this practice. What a wonderful history we've been given. Now, some of you may not know this, but like many of the songs that we sing here on Sunday morning, they are rooted in psalms. For instance, uh, we sing a song called 10,000 Reasons, and that comes to us from Psalm 103. Last week, we sang My Heart Runs, and that's tied to Psalm 42, which Mojo did a great job uh, and teaching about that last week, and uh, how great is our God, Psalm 104, it is well, Psalm 18. So many of these psalms, or the songs that we sing, come from psalms. Today, with Psalm 40, I bet some of you don't even realize that you actually have been singing that and not known it. Give a listen. One, two, three, four. Thank you. 
Thanks for letting me have a little moment there. Um, even if you're not familiar or not a U2 fan, um, Bono is singing Psalm 40. Let me put the words up. And even if you're not a fan, you, I know you can relate to this psalm. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire, and he set my feet on a rock. And he gave me a firm place to stand, and he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. I wonder if some of you didn't think that Bono wrote those words. But actually, the lyrics were written uh, many thousands of years before he formed U2. Um... You know, we've been going back to this one quote from the 4th century from a church father named Athanasius who said uh, that most scripture speaks to us, but the Psalms speak for us. And I think verse 2 of Psalm 40, it's just really a strong instance of that. David writes, He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire, and he set my feet on a rock, and he gave me a firm place to stand. The image here that David paints is this slimy, squishy mud and mire, a time of unstableness and insecurity and uncertainty. A lot of your kids are making slime these days. Imagine trying to stand on that and get traction. Even if you're not doing that actually physically, I know that you can relate to it either right now where you are in life or maybe sometime in the past. This is in your notes. There are just times in your life where it feels like you can't get your footing. There are times in life where it just feels like you can't get your footing. Life can feel uncertain in a variety of ways. First of all, like it can just be because you're in unfamiliar territory. Maybe uh, some of you, I know, are getting ready to go off to college, and you've never done that. And so there's like a, an apprehension in that. It's like it feels a little uncertain. Some of you have completed college, and now you're trying to find a career, and that's a whole new thing for you. Many of you have had babies for the first time. It's like, I don't know what's going on in this community, but people are having babies like crazy. <clears throat> and that's a new thing for you. Never been there. So there's all these unknowns. Some of you are, you know, you're not starting a job, you're ending a job and stepping into retirement. Some of you, you're new to church, you're new to this church, and maybe you came from another church, maybe you didn't, but it's like you're experiencing like a whole new thing being in a new place, and it feels unfamiliar. You're just off your normal groove, and that can feel like you don't have your footing. It can be uh, a lot more intense than that in periods where the uncertainty in our lives is really about we just feel really vulnerable. You're, you're going through a struggle in which you, know, you don't know when it's going to end. You don't, 
there's like all these unknowns attached to your life right now. Uh, some of you are like single parents, single moms, and you got kids at home, and the job you have, it just pays your bills, but it's like, it, you know, there's not a future, and so you're like, what's going to happen in three weeks from now? And so you feel like you can't get your footing, you can't really plan long term. Some of you are like, you're experiencing injustice in some form or fashion, and you don't know what the outcome of that is going to be. Some of you are in a relationship that's like, the relationship is ending, but it hasn't ended. You sense that it is. It's not over. But you don't know what's next. Or maybe you're just freshly out of a relationship, and you feel alone, and you feel vulnerable. You can't get your footing. And some of you just have you have had expectations about where you would be at this time in your life, and it isn't. And so since the past hasn't added up to your, what you thought your present would be, you're wondering, what, what does the future hold? And uncertainty or lack of footing can be even more dangerous than that. Some of you are battling addictions right now, and you don't know if tomorrow you won't fall back into that addiction. And so life feels really scary to you. It isn't about moving forward. It's about not crashing tomorrow. Some of you have choices in your past that just keep following you. And you wonder, like, when is that choice going to be done? And when can I move forward from that choice? These are all things that feel uncertain in, in a time when we can't get our footing. And it can feel hopeless. It can feel like it will never change. And you know, I think David really gives us this beautiful image of how it is sometimes. It feels like um, God isn't even paying attention. In verse 1, he says, God, he turned to me and heard my cry. The picture there is that God wasn't even looking for a while. And then again in verse 1, it seems to last forever. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord. And that you know, that phrase doesn't really capture the original. Literally, it says, I waited, waited. I double waited. And that, that, you know, repeated use of that word adds an intensity and magnitude to the waiting period, that uncertainty. So the picture is that life is slippery. I can't get my footing. And because I can't get my footing, I can't move forward. It's, it's lasting forever. And God isn't paying attention to the whole matter. And one more thing, David gives a picture, he calls it a slimy pit. It's not like I'm in a slippery spot. I'm in a pit. And so it, it just feels like I'm never going to get out. And to that, David says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned to my cry. This is, this is what David did. It isn't just a description of a situation. It's how he responded to that situation. He intentionally trusts God. This waited, waited brings, like, it's not a casual waiting. Like, um, just, you know, while I'm waiting, I'm looking at my cell phone, scrolling through social media, and uh, playing words with friends. Like, it's much more intense than that. I'm, 
I'm in this period and I'm anxious and I'm apprehensive and I'm, I have this anticipation or ex expectancy that something is going to change or something must happen. It's an active, intentional waiting. Another way to put it, and this is in your notes, is when certainty goes down, allow trust to come up. When certainty goes down, allow trust to go up. Another way to say that is let God show up for you. David describes it this way. He says, God, he lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire, and he set my feet on a rock, and he gave me a firm place to stand. And again, there's more imagery here. It's like, and there's a couple of ways of looking at it. David could be saying, God lifted me entirely out of that situation and put me back in, a, in an awesome situation. Kind of like when you play Mario Kart Brothers. And uh, I, I play this, I stink at it, I'm always 11th or 12th. My grandkids beat me every time, and they rub it in. They're really poor winners. <laughs> and I'm constantly, I, I don't know how you, like, don't get seasick and stay on the track playing that, but I'm always off in the weeds somewhere. And then that little ghost thing comes along, and it's like, and it picks you up, and it puts you back where you're supposed to be. Sometimes that's what God does. It's like, my finances were like totally imploding for years, and now I'm in this great place. It's like my career's clicking along. I got money in the bank. I got, I got other things pending. It's like that's one way God can lift you out. You can be struggling in your marriage, and, you know, years ago, and today you're like in this beautiful place where, you know, you're, you're just so one, and you can't even imagine what it was like to struggle before or you know, you, you couldn't get anywhere in your career, and that, now it's like everything's all lined up, and like your future's bright. I love it when God does it like that. But another way to look at the imaging, the image that David brings forward here is that you haven't really been lifted out of it entirely. It's like he lifted you and put you on a rock in the middle of the mud and mire. Your situation really hasn't changed, but you have, or your perspective has. Um, this could be your divorce is going to happen, but you're okay. Your, your PET scan didn't come back clear, but you're still going to be okay. That person that's been special in your life, they, they don't call day after day. And, or the relationship doesn't get mended, and yet you find yourself in a place of being okay because you're standing on a rock in the middle of the mud and mire. Honestly, I would rather God just lift me out and make all things beautiful. Wouldn't you? Can I get an amen on that? Okay, just checking. But I'm just going to give you my situation. That doesn't often happen. Often what I find is that God places me on solid footing in the middle of the mud and mire. And I'm okay. If I can only, if, if, if life is only solid when everything is perfect, 
life is going to be very uncertain all the time. You're never really going to be standing on something solid. You know, Jesus even, uh, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he tells a story about two home builders, and he talks about, you know, the person that built their house on the rock who follows his teaching. He doesn't say that 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 person built their house and then there was never a storm. So follow Jesus and you'll be stormless and your house will stand. That's not what he teaches. He says that these two home builders, both of their homes faced the inevitable storms that come, and one stood because it was on a rock. You see, intentionally trusting God will change your situation or your perspective. It will be one or the other, usually a combination of both. Notice in verse 3, in the middle of this, David says, He, God, put a new song in my mouth. A hymn of praise to our God, many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. We'll talk in just a moment about the second half of that verse, but David says, I have a fresh new perspective. I have a new song in my mouth as I stand on this solid footing. It's a change of perspective. Maybe you're at a place in your life where you're facing challenges that you never thought that you would. Maybe, maybe parenting is a lot more difficult at this time of your life than you ever thought it would be. Some of you are battling alcoholism. And you never, you know, like 10 years ago, you didn't think you'd be an alcoholic. And yet you're, you're going to that all the time just to numb yourself. Some of you, you, you started smoking weed just as a casual thing to do, and now it's an everyday occurrence for you just to get normal. And you're addicted. Maybe your company's downsizing, and you wonder where you're going to be next week. Or may, maybe you're just stepping into retirement. And it all feels so squishy. God can change your perspective in the middle of that and put your feet on a solid rock. Allowing God to put a new song in us is to trust God. And whatever it is I'm going through, to do it His way. It isn't just like a touchy-feely, I trust God, and everything Latida is going to be okay. It's part of trusting God is actually following through on the way God wants you to go through it. Even though it's so uncertain. I know uh, I tell far too many fire department stories for some of you. So I'm about to tell one. So if you'd like to take a mental vacation, go ahead. Just go ahead and take a little nap, and we'll wake you up when I'm done. But I remember in my rookie years as a fireman, I'd, I'd never experienced, uh, you know, structural firefighting, um, you know, only in, you know, controlled situations and training burns and things. And so that's dangerous enough, but never like the real, real thing. And so when I started going to uh, serious fires... 
I was really fortunate early in my career to be paired with this captain in the, in the fire department I worked with that was just extraordinary. And um, I had a lot of confidence in him. He, was, he loved firefighting. He was an expert at it. He had tons of experience. And uh, he loved it so much that if we went dry, you know, for a few cycles without a fire, he would take a nozzle and go it out on the front of the station, and he would do this little fire war dance, he called it, and raise the nozzle above his head. It actually worked. We would get a structure fire pretty soon. I don't know if that's the right thing to be wishing for structure <laughs> fires. That's another message. But I would go into these fires with him and not know, am I really safe? Because I'd never experienced it. And I just, honestly, I hitched my wagon to his experience. I had the confidence in him. And I think that's what it's like to trust God in an uncertain time. We have the confidence that he's there with us. If you're in the middle of a career change or you're going back to school because of that, trust God through that. Maybe, maybe you're single right now and you're just ready to sell out because you're just tired of being alone or there's no good ones left. And so you're tempted to just not do it God's way. Trust God. If you're struggling in your marriage, it's really easy to, to pursue other interests. Trust God. Maybe you're kind of just coming into that phase where like you're middle-aged and you're like wondering like, you know, like is this what my life is? It's like there's not much time to like make the changes, right? And you're just kind of in a middle-aged funk. And you're wondering, like, you know, is this, is this all there is? Let God put a new song in your mouth and trust him. And you know, when you do that, one of the side benefits is that other people can buddy breathe off of that. Other people are inspired by people who in times of uncertainty place their trust in God in a very tangible and intentional way. David writes, when he did that, many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But I know that most of you have experienced these times of uncertainty. Maybe you're in it right now. And I would say to you, let God put you on that rock, whether he takes you out of it, whether he changes your perspective. Allow him to do that and do it his way. Now, the rest of the psalm here, and I, I know time is running short. Um, <clears throat> I just want to hit five things quickly that I think um, are helpful hints, as I put it, to raise trust above uncertainty. So buckle up. We're going to go quickly through these. Number one, don't go off the rails. Don't go off the rails. Uh, verse 4, David says, Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. You know, I've, been, I've alluded to this already. When we're in that time of uncertainty, it's really tempting to react to that in opposition to what is God's way. 
I, there's something about humanity that we just react that way. And so we can turn to alcohol, prescription drugs. We can struggle in our marriage and choose an affair, start hanging out in bars rather than in church functions. We can go back to our old addictions and we can start to reject wise Christian friends. You know, David says here, don't, don't do that. Don't look to the proud. Don't turn aside to false gods. Don't go off the rails, even though it's going to be tempting to do so, because in the end, that is not going to take you to the outcome that you're really looking for, is it? You might find some temporary relief. You might be able to numb yourself from what you're going through, but it is not going to lead you to what you really want. Secondly, we can raise trust over uncertainty by recalling God's faithfulness. Recall God's faithfulness. Verse 5, many, O Lord, my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you've planned for us no one can recount to you. Were I to speak and tell them, they would be too many to declare. And so David, in the middle of his <coughs> slippery, slimy world, he starts to recall by memory the, the ways God has come through for him. And if, you ha- if, if you've been a Christian for a while, you know you have these moments. And there seems to be some magic eraser in our brain that like we forget all that when we're in crisis. So David's psalm kind of indicates like stop and intentionally recount the ways God has come through for you. And that will bolster your confidence in that time of uncertainty. You know, when my kids were little, they never went without food. Uh, I, I made sure that they didn't starve. But when we were, we would be driving somewhere, and maybe we were a little late for the meal, and they'd both be in their car seats in the back. And I knew they were hungry, and they would start crying about how hungry they were, and they'd be howling and I used to turn around and go, I'm your dad. It's like, you're not going to starve to death. You're going to eat. Trust me. Ah, They'd still cry, you know. It's like it didn't work. And, you know, it doesn't work on us very often either. But God is going to come through for you. And it's helpful in that moment of crisis to recall those moments when he has. If you're new to faith or maybe you haven't stepped across that line of faith, and you you don't have that history, I want to encourage you, you know, you can start your relationship with God very simply by asking Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin and come into your life and to save your soul. The Bible says that if we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, we will be saved. And when we do that, Jesus says that we're born again, and that's the start of a new life, a life in faith. There's not a magic prayer, but you could do it just in silence there in your seat. Do that today. And here's a, here's a challenge. Take a God challenge. Do that if, you're, if you've never walked with God and give God 30 days and see if your situation or your perspective doesn't change. Do it his way. Thirdly, allow God to shape your character. One of the things that can help bolster your trust 
is to go through that time of uncertainty, not in a way to just escape it, but allow God to do what he is doing in your life through it. David says, sacrifice an offering you did not desire, but my, eye, but my ears you have pierced. I want to stop there. There's a couple things going on here. First of all, when David refers to like, you don't really want sacrifice and offering, he's, he's referring to kind of a transactional relationship that develops, uh, developed in the traditional Jewish religion. It happens to Christians today as well. We kind of have this uh, quid pro quo thing with God. It's like uh, we just go through our ritual, I sin, you know, for them, they went to temple, they completed their sacrifices, and now I'm good with God. Now everything should fall into place. Do some good stuff for me, God. And that's a transactional relationship. And we do the same thing today. And David is pointing out here that that's not what God, having a relationship with God is about. You know, God, I did my stuff. Now bless me. Give me the stuff I want, and I'll do stuff for you. He says, get off of that. And then, he, and then he says in verse 7, here I am. I've come, uh, 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 in sin offerings, you do, you've pierced my ear. You've, my ears you've pierced. I'm sorry. Got ahead of myself there. And that's not like a, a new, uh, you know, look for David. This is referring to like a cultural thing that would happen where if somebody was an indentured slave to their master, and maybe even their master said, you know, you've been a great servant, I'm freeing you, that servant had the ability to say, you know, I want to serve you. And that would be symbolized by the piercing of an ear that showed that that person was a, out of their own volition that they made themselves part of that household to serve it. Now, it's not a commentary uh, about how slavery should be or anything like that, but it's just it's a human relationship where a person says, you know, I'm, I'm willing to allow you to be my master. And that translates into our relationship with God. That I'm willing to go through this time and say, God, you know, like, I got other plans. And maybe I have different preferences, but as I go through this, I, I want to do it your way. I want to bend my will to what you might be doing in my life right now. And he even takes it a step further when he says, uh, you, you, you know, I've, it's been written about me in the scroll. Some scholars think this is a reference to Deuteronomy or the law, and others believe that this is like some type of vague reference to like a specific story with David, that like, almost like there's a story for each of us. And David says, I, there's a story you're building in me. And I bend my will to that. In verse 8, I desire to do your will, God. Which is another way of saying in the time of this uncertainty, even though I want to escape it, saying, you know, God, what do you want to do in me in this period? That escaping tomorrow is not going to do that work. And go, allowing God to make the changes in us that could only happen if we went through this period of uncertainty. Allow God to shape your character. Fourth, tell your unfiltered story to everyone who will listen. 
Verse 9, David says, I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, as you know, O Lord. Like, I'm not going to hold back on my story. The things that you're doing in me and the way I see you working through me, I'm going to be super bold about that. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and salvation. I do not conceal your love and your truth from the great assembly. And so if you look at the arc of this psalm, David is acknowledging that he has all these struggles, that life isn't perfect, and he doesn't like it. It feels slippery, and he can't move ahead. But he's trusting God intentionally, and there's a story to be told in that, and he tells that story. The psalm doesn't say, I've always been on a rock, and everything's awesome because I'm God's boy. He says, my, I, I deal with real stuff, and yet my God is great and I'm looking to him. You know, that's a powerful story that should be told more often by people of faith. I think we, we tend to want to tell our victorious stories and like, you know, how we're dialed because we're Christians. But a much more powerful story is in the context of struggle and uncertainty where people can see that in a transparent way. Like, I don't like life the way, I, the way it is. And I'm, but I'm, I'm letting God do his work because I'm intentionally trusting him through this. That is a much more powerful story. And I would imagine that that's inspired you in the past with people. Not people that don't have struggles or you don't think that they do, but people who have common struggles like you or common periods of uncertainty, and yet you've seen them process that in a gracious way in faith those are the people you go to. If, you, if you're struggling in your marriage and you know somebody that has, you think, has this lovely la-ti-da perfect marriage, do you go to them? Probably not. Maybe you should, maybe you shouldn't. That's another sermon. But you likely go to people that you know have gone through it and you've seen something in the way they've processed that because that's a powerful story. Tell your story to anyone who will listen in an unfiltered way. And then lastly, follow through with trust tomorrow. Follow through. It's all about the follow through. I want you to see in this last part of the psalm how schizophrenic David is about this, how easily his emotions switch. So just, just to remind you where we're at, it's like David says, life's uncertain, it's very slippery, but God put me on a rock, and, and I'm singing his praises. I got a new song. Everything's awesome. Verse 11, do not withhold your mercy from me, O Lord. May your love and your truth always protect me. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs on my head, and my heart fails within me. How quickly did he change? How quickly did his situation change? He went from like this place of confidence standing on a rock and now he says my troubles are even more than the hairs on my head. Which means that if there's a direct correlation, mine are decreasing. Some of you have no trouble at all, I can see, if it's related to the hairs on your head. It says, be pleased, O Lord, to save me. O Lord, come quickly to help me. May all who seek to take my life be put to shame and confusion. He goes he sinks deep here, starts praying uh, some pain on other people that are bugging him. May all who desire my ruin to be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, aha, aha, be appalled at their own shame. Those are okay on occasion. And then may all 
who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation always say, the Lord be exalted, yet I'm poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Oh, my God, do not delay. Didn't we just sing that? Oh, my God. Here, here's the picture. Like David has a period of uncertainty. God does a work and allows him to stand on a rock, but the very next day, He's facing new challenges. It's all about the follow-through. You see, the, the story of yesterday, that uncertainty of yesterday translates into the faith of tomorrow, the trust of tomorrow. But it's, isn't it easy to like when, when we're going through this period and we get this relief or we get, we get placed in a solid spot, it's like, okay, life's, everything's going to be perfect. I don't want to be like Debbie Downer, but uh, every day will have its challenges. As long as you're here in this broken world, there will always be challenges. And it's all about the follow-through of your faith. In virtually every part of life, you know how important the follow-through is, right? Well, you know, uh, I remember in college they said, you know, for every hour you spend in class, you need to spend two hours in your dorm studying. That was certainly true in my case. Um, uh, any, name any sport, you know, baseball. Is it about the follow-through on the swing or the throw? Uh, golfing, I, you know, which I don't know anything about. It's about the follow-through, I imagine. Um, <laughs> Every, everything, it's all about follow-through. And faith of yesterday and faith of today needs to translate into to tomorrow in order for us to again land in that place of solid, stabil, stable footing. I love David's swing of emotions here. I can totally relate to it. Because just when, you know, I get over one hurdle, there, there's just another hurdle. And so the idea of intentionally trusting God is for every day, even the great days. You know, when I was a little kid, we used to play tag. And I, I guess in schools now, we're, they're not allowed to do that because um, if you get tagged, it might hurt your, your psyche or something. <laughs> and everybody, everybody's always tagging you. That's because you're slow. I don't know what to say. <laughs> you know, it's easy to get rid of, you know, so... I shouldn't do that as part of my wrap-up to a great message like this, but <laughs> what I remember about tag is that, you know, you could always go back to the home base, right? That's how we played, and home base was safe as long as you were touching it. Uh, for us, it was a clothesline, which is a whole other anachronism for many of you, you know. There used to be these things you hung your clothes on before dryers, and, and we would hold on to that, and and so nobody could tag you, you could catch your breath, you could get renewed, you could gain a new perspective of what's happening and the next place you're going to run and hide, and then you could get back in the game. It was a clothesline then, but I think for today, for the Christian, it's the cross. And life pitches some slimy, slippery stuff to us. And if you need to get a fresh perspective or you need rest, you just need to go back to the cross. And it's there that you gain a fresh new perspective 
of what it's like to trust God. And you get a renewed sense of purpose. And you, and you can reflect upon what your next step is. And then you can get back in the game. Because God has given us a solid rock to stand on. Whether we're in the middle of tremendous uncertainty or deep pain or whether we're just like sailing right along. We need that place of stability and it's found in the cross. Let's pray.